Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. This podcast is sponsored by Crush Organic CBD Oil. They have a huge range of CBD oil products. They've got gummies. They've got bath bombs. They've got everything. How much better would the world be if everyone had a few drops of CBD oil every night, specifically Crush Organic CBD Oil? Um, I would actually posit that it would be, like your life, a few percentage points better. That's the experience that I've had with CBD Crush Organics, if that's even the name of it. It actually does make you go to sleep well and dream. That's something I forgot about. What sort of dreams did you have on the uh, on the good old CBD oil? Um, God, you know what? I had one the other day, and now I can't remember it. But it was that it was that kind of dream where it's a little bit too close to reality, but one factor is different. You know what was the factor? Like, uh, just for argument's sakes, it's kind of like. You know, your, your school principal's Tom Ballard or some shit like that. And you're just like, okay. <sighs> everything else is the same. There's one little. Do you think there's something that that your subconscious is trying to tell you something about that oh, one particular thing? Fuck. Yes, it's trying to tell you something. And I know what that is, but I'm not going to say what it is on air. Oh, come on. But you should find out from CBD oil. What? what give us a hint. What uh, area, what sphere of your life was it related to? See, this is the whole thing now because it's too long ago for me remembering it. But I just remember waking up and going, Jesus, that was pretty vivid. You know, you've had those dreams before and you just walk around and maybe everyone just has ostrich legs. Or like for some reason your dad's wearing a top hat. It's pretty close. Yeah, okay. You don't have them? Yes. All right, what about this nightmare? Have, have you had the nightmare where you've murdered someone and you think, fuck, how am I going to depose of the body? And the rest of the thing is just cops unexpectedly coming everywhere being like, hello, Neil, nice day today. And you're just like, uh, it sure is, officer. You've had that? No, I have not, man. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty specific. What are you hiding? <laughs> that is clearly what's happening what there. You are hiding something. When you went on that uh, mushroom trip last year, what really happened? For me? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Well, maybe, well, yes, you, maybe you can't remember what happened and maybe uh, there's a missing person in the Blue Mountains. And, Sounds like uh, something, yeah. Your, you know, new, new neural pathways were linked in your mind and you were able <laughs> to become a uh, just a, a fantastic serial killer in the space of a couple of hours. You, uh, I hope that's not the case. You killed a few people or maybe one <laughs> and got rid of the body effectively, and now uh, you can't consciously remember it, but the CBD oil is triggering that unconscious memory <laughs> while it eats away at your conscious. But anyway, the point is it's a great product. So go to crushorganics.com, use the code NEIL for 40% off, okay? Uh, we also have questions and shout-outs and topics available for you to send in to us. Go to neilcolehatka.com slash podcasts. Jordan has a tour that he has just announced. It's all about Rome. Is it specifically about Rome or Julius Caesar? Or a bit of both? <sighs> Look, it's inexplicably a little bit of both, but it's mostly about Julius Caesar. Yep. And I have to say it is, with, without it even being tested, the best stand-up show I've ever done. Ooh. I actually do highly recommend you go and see this, whereas with everything else, I'm like, yeah, you can come if you want. This one I want you to see. And I want you to pay full price. Interesting. <laughs> You've endorsed your new show by- uh, Yeah, personally. Making people feel shit about coming to your old show. <laughs> You're a sucker if you came to any of his old shows, but come to this one. This is where he turns it around. Yes. 
The drug addict of comedy shows. I promise show. this will be good, yeah. Well, good this time, Potential I swear. Potential serial killer. Invest in me this time. <laughs> so, uh, do you, do, do you know you, where's your first show? Yeah, go on. Do, is there a stand-up show of yours that sticks out? Where you think, that was a cut above the other ones I've done? Oh, yeah. I think one I did in 2016, which is probably the one with the most effort. Oh, I shouldn't say that. But look, I- <laughs> it's not <laughs> that I don't have put an effort into other ones, but- uh, I then started to have other artistic priorities. But in 2016, I was laser focused on stand-up and nothing else. I mm. still do very good stand-up shows, which you should come to. <laughs> Melbourne every month, Newcastle now every month, Sydney every week. And it's not just me. It's an entire tribe of brilliant comedians. Travelling circus act. Oh, yeah. It's a variety show. There's, there's improv. There's everything. Everything you're... Uh, your funny bone desires come to the show. Go to neildan.com. But I like 2016, uh, and then uh, the one I filmed, Neil before me on uh, on YouTube, and everyone has the same comment on oh, the audience sucks. They were so good on the night. So this is such a shit thing to say. Something went wrong in the audio mix, and then I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. And I just trusted the editors, but there was a main editing production company that sent through a premix, and then my mate who was editing the rest of it, and he couldn't fuck with the audio properly enough. So it sounded like the audience were really silent, shit, but they were really, really, really good on the night. And uh, a lot of it comedy happens. specials, basically, they actually just amp up the laughs and add in fake laughs. Double the tracks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you put a lot in. Uh, and I should have done that. I really regret that because it was great material. And there's a psychological trick where you just- That's why sitcoms have those fake laughs. It works. You're consciously aware of it, but you, you, you sort of get into the vibe of, hey, other, I'm hearing laughter. And that triggers a certain response. Mm. So, anyway, mm. that's my little- um, One little thing that I still- uh, that irks me about that show, but that was that was that was my best show. Well, I got to ask, how yeah. was it? Just focusing on stand up for a year because that is actually a fantasy of mine. Now, I would love to just sit there and think about a show for no, a year. No, it's overrated. <laughs> it's it, it, to be a to to focus in on stand up. You have to be very cynical and just critical of every. Actually, you'd be perfect for it. But oh yeah. Uh, you, you just have to basically be uh, just complain about everything, but then figure out ways to f structure those into jokes. Whereas now thinking about podcasts, thinking about uh, sketches, short films, other videos that I'm doing, the different mindset I get to be in. And sometimes that's a more joyous mindset, I would say. Right. But... Okay, okay. So, it's just it's, it's pretty much just the, the psychological drain of it is taxing, hmm. but do you think being laser focused on one thing, as you were saying before, the product is better? Do you think it's oh, yeah. that much better that it's kind of worth the tax? Yeah, it is worth yeah, it. Yeah, it's worth it. For it, it's definitely a much better product. Got to say, man, I am jealous of those comedians of yesteryear that could kind of just have their one year special go out on hbo flog that that hbo special is seen by enough people that they can tour for the rest of the year and then just hone in another hour well that seems great to me those days are long gone they are long gone long gone what once every five years coming out with one hour bro you gotta come up with one hour of content a day yeah minimum yeah. Yeah. And you have to be thinking of constantly fresh things so that you can get people to come to that one hour show. Mm. I get the drill, but it's been really good because that's pretty much all I've been doing for a month straight. And the connections that you make, I, okay, I fully understand it is 
incredibly taxing and I feel dumber because I've just been repeating the same show for a month. Yeah. But, okay. and you, but you, you those little tweaks. The little the tweak like the Powerade bottle. The Powerade bottle, that kind of stuff. It's rewarding, isn't it? When you figure out, hey, the Powerade bottle works more than the, than the Gatorade <sighs> bottle. But that's not a good example. That was one of the most fucked arguments I've ever had in my life. But I, the general idea of it, yeah. Okay. That one was... Fuck, I'm so... I'm actually, like, angry now that you even reminded me of that. That was horrible. Talking to my editor about it is not a good space. Being by oh. yourself. Being that blue whale in the ocean for, like, six months <laughs> alone. The true Sigma male. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love oh, that. What speaking else? of, yeah. you know the Sigma male anthem? No, what is it? It's amazing. Everyone go look it up now, but it's that. I love it. It's my favorite meme format now. It's like some fat gamer or something at home just being like, Casey, what's your kill rate? Mm, 87. 87? Yep. Now you did. And then the music goes like. It's, it's like a, I think like a Russian rap beat. And then the the screen kind of goes like gray what? and then it just goes like Sigma me or lesson one. Okay. <laughs> say what you mean and mean what you say. <laughs> Why is that there? Who decided that's a Sigma male anthem? Look. That's a beta male move. Yes. Saying, oh, this is the Sigma male anthem. Because come on, anyone, anyone who invented Sigma male memes is clearly a beta male. They're clearly people that have sat on internet forums. Yes. There's no, there's no debating that. Like, but I think that if you listen to the Sigma male anthem, okay. Okay. you will realize it picked itself. It is exactly what it's supposed to be. Okay. It elicits the exact emotion of what people who think they're Sigma males think in their head. It's, it's this kind of, you know what it is? There's this meme page Miss showed me the other day. It's called, I watch Blade Runner 2049 on repeat. And it's just all these memes of Ryan Gosling. I think that's how Sigma, people that identify with Sigma males see themselves. They see themselves as Ryan Gosling. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if I remember that movie correctly, didn't he have a virtual girlfriend? And yes. Was yes. a bit of a- Weirdo. Yes. Not exactly uh, high status. No. Yeah. He's a loner. Yeah. But he gets the job done. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no way There's you a- could say his character is beta. He goes yeah, around okay, and fair. kills high-functioning robots for a job. Sure, sure. It's Sigma. That's what it is. It's- it, Yeah, it's Sigma It's Sigma beta. You know how they, there's hybrid versions? Is it? No, I'm too behind on the meme now. I assume now. there is. Surely. No, I'm thinking about. Sorry, I got. So I was thinking about there's hybrids with uh, why him, why her. You can be a builder director, so I assume you can be a sigma beta or a <laughs> or an alpha sigma or a beta. What are the main ones? Surely you can't what, be okay. an alpha sigma. What's the difference between Chad and Alpha? Or are they the same thing? I think. If I was to split hairs, and again, I have no basis on this, but I think that that's the whole thing. Everybody can just chip in their two cents on this, which is why it's kind of fun talking about it. But I think that Chad, in my mind, is definitely a legend. Whereas an alpha might be an absolute cunt, but still be dominant. That's that's my understanding of it. The way I... uh I think a Chad is a nascent alpha. 
Go on. Just uh, someone with just in- inherently alpha genetics, but still needs to become the alpha or has the p- capacity to become the alpha. <laughs> so a chat is just someone with great calves, great jawline, good height. Yeah. Very good looking man. Yeah. Inherently confident because of that. Very successful with women. But an alpha is someone who's lived a, a dark life or has been through certain experiences to uh, bring about the alphaness inside of them. Similarly with a sigma. These, these, are, these are not, you're not born an alpha or a sigma. You become the alpha, you become the sigma, but you can be born a Chad. That's my, uh, that's how I would differentiate them. So a Chad is an alpha in high school. And an alpha so. is a guy that has nurtured a small business into a medium-sized business. <laughs> That's one way of putting it, sure. Sure. He gets the job done. Who, who in your mind, when, when you say alpha, is there one guy that instantly springs to mind in your head? A celebrity or someone in my um, personal life? Actually, let's go with celebrity so everyone's on board. Non- Immediately, I, I just I think of The Rock, but then I know how manufactured a lot of the celebrity personas are, so I don't know. Surely Arnold Schwarzenegger is an alpha, as in it's not manufactured. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has to be. Yeah. There is no way yeah, okay. that guy okay. is, you know, insecure and internet-y. <laughs> There's no way. He's st- you know what I think? Any celebrity from the 80s is an alpha. Tom Cruise, Arnie, Sylvester Stallone. Who else were like the big stars? It's like, yeah, I know what you mean. Like when you see The Rock, you kind of think maybe his muscles are inflatable or something. Right. Whereas Arnie's genuine and authentic. Yeah, I get that vibe. But then it could be a very uh, well-manufactured PR campaign. You didn't realize with these celebrities, the team behind them, mm. producing the image that everyone sees. For whatever reason, my mind just went to the, the contrast between 80s actors and 80s rock stars. Or it, 70s, say, the, the rock stars in the 70s were, you know, basically trans. They all had <laughs> very <laughs> long hair. They were very feminine. They uh, had uh, skinny jeans. I mean, they were alpha in many ways. They were very confident. They weren't, they weren't uh, insecure and on internet forums whinging about how they're oppressed. They were, they were very much, uh, you know, men of vigor. But they were very feminine, whereas the actors were always uh, action hero types, traditional male archetypes. Isn't that interesting? The rock stars could still sway a crowd. And at its essence, that would be an alpha, someone who's leading. You're right, though, actors, because it's all make-believe. Look, yeah, there's some theatre to being a rock star, obviously, but you still need to be able to make 50,000 people mosh. It's a trait a lot of people wouldn't ever have. I I wouldn't be able to fucking do it. No. Yeah, actors are more manufactured, aren't they? Like, you really have to be very uninhibited to be that 70s Austin Powers-like rock star, don't you? You you really have to – your brain has to be in a different realm to the rest of people. In fact, I know someone who knew Michael Hutchins and they were saying he will never meet anyone who was close to as charismatic as that man. 
He fucked r- married women on the regular. You know? He just... Like, he just had that life and that way. As soon as he moved into a room, you kind of just wanted to go along with whatever he was going along with. And the guy knew him on his rise up. And it was just, it was unquestionable in everyone's mind. Everyone thought that guy is going to be a rock star. Before he had any hype around him or anything, he just had that impression. Right, so it wasn't necessarily about the musical talent. It was more about the overall vibe that he would... uh instill among people around him. That would be the difference between a rock star and a musician, wouldn't it? It really is the vibe. Hmm. We uh, definitely talk about charisma a lot. Well, actually, I wanted to talk about the exact opposite today. Okay. Can I ask you one question? Yes. Because we live relatively solitary lives, especially you. Oh, yeah. And do you think your obsession with charisma comes from a some kind of urge to 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 be uh really popular in a crowd because i think being socially amicable now is not necessarily a strength when it comes to online content and being a personality you sort of do have to be a lone wolf and and think differently to the average person have ideas that aren't just molded by a particular social group yes no I have zero interest in being charismatic at a party, but I do have a lot of interest in being charismatic in front of a crowd because that's my profession. And that's purely it. I've identified a couple of things, a couple of key areas that I need to be exceptional at in order to have a career. Okay. And that's why I've been pursuing those things and been thinking about them a lot, obviously. And I highly recommend everybody else figure those things out. It was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, which is that in most professions, there's three to four areas that you need to excel at. You identify what those are and you work on them. That's your career sorted. Okay. Okay. Right. So, it's more of a career progression necessity. It really is you a necessity. You, you have yeah, you to. You certainly do in, in comedy. But what were you going to, what, what did you want to talk about? The opposite to charisma. What's that? Well, actually, not even the opposite to charisma. No, no, actually, it's not the opposite. It's just, it's a different area. But it's, uh, I'm just thinking of some of the most likable people in terms of internet personalities and some of the most unlikable internet personalities. And I was trying to decipher what are the common traits that they have and i'll give you a really good because pretty much in my downtime i don't know why this has been working for me at the moment but because i'm just rehearsing lines over and over again which you have neil knows but you the listener probably have no idea how unbelievably mind-numbing boring and like every fiber of your body is just going, please, not again. I don't want to fucking do this again. Mm. Right? And you, you go through that for a month, huh? You need to do it. You have to do it. It's monotonous. It's laborious. But the payoff at the end is well worthwhile. Well worthwhile. Actually, maybe if people have learned a language, I would imagine, because that was always the thing that I was just, no, nah, I can't do it. That's why I failed it in university, because I didn't want to fucking sit there and just be like, mi piamo, buongiorno, mi piano piccolo. I didn't want to do it. Yeah, the payoff for learning a language is uh, very f- far off into the future. Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, the other advantage of it, just as a quick side note, is that it does allow your brain to think in a completely different way. 
Uh, that's something that people that are bilingual or multilingual will always say is that if you switch it off into your different brains, just the, the, the nature of how those things, first of all, they have different words for things that we just don't have and vice versa. So that's the first bit. But the other thing is just the nature of the way they sound makes you interpret your reality different when you're thinking about it in your head, which is cool. Ooh. And also, it actually is one of the one proven things that will, you know, prevent Alzheimer's and make you a more intelligent person. So, there is a lot of upsides to it. Jesus, I want to- Yeah, wow. Uh, That's a 10-year commitment, though. Oh, fuck yeah. Minimum. It's a lifetime commitment, let's be honest, because, like, English is a lifetime commitment. Yes. You'd really have to travel to the native country we're trying to learn the language and then that would maybe speed up the process by mm, two or three years potentially mm. but already uh, because we're I'm well we're at least in our late 20s it's far harder to learn a language because uh, you know your neural pathways are relatively stable now mm. and uh, when your brain is uh, still molding those pathways then it's easier to learn a language it's far easier for children to pick up a new language than for adults well, that's what I've heard. Yes, but the piece of advice that I heard, and I've never done it because I can't be bothered. I've got too many other things going on. I've always wanted to. It's one of those things that I'll never do. I'll die and not know it. But you watch soap operas or you watch movies in that language and you sit there like a baby does and you try and mouth the sentences without even knowing what they're saying. You're just trying to get a ver- like a... a a sound feel for it and how their facial expressions work because it's very interesting. You go and look at other people speaking in different languages. They do different things. The classic thing is Indians with the head wiggle, right? That is because their language speaks like that. Another one is Russians. Russians kind of speak really still like this and that is because their language is the fastest language on earth. So, there's certain physiologies that you take on when you're doing that language. And so, if you mimic those things, you actually get a big head start on it. Just would, a little piece of language. Wow. So, you almost develop an entire new personality. Sort of, yeah. a new language. So, what, were the, what was the language you were trying to- We'll get to the likable internet personalities. What was the language you were trying to learn in university? Italian for a very brief second. And it was because I was such a geek as a kid that I tried to learn Latin by myself and thought, okay, well, I'll take one of the romance languages and then I'll just kickstart that again. But then I just did Italian for a year and I thought, fuck this and failed it and failed it. Like beginner's Italian that's aimed at four-year-olds. I couldn't do it. Having said that, I was fairly competent at uh, Korean, but that's because I lived there for a while. Okay. Uh, can't remember go. any of it anymore. Actually, no, that's not true. When I listen to K-pop songs and I listen to, like, when I was watching Squid Game or something, I have a rough understanding of what they're talking about without looking at the subtitles. That's cool. But I can't speak it anymore. Sure. But you, it's the same thing, actually. People, uh, like, second do generation, do like my mum. Yeah, how there. do you know that? I saw it. You saw it. You go. You know Is that is that correct? Uh-huh. I don't know what the last word was. Yo. What's 10? How do you say 10? I don't do say. Fuck, now I can't even remember. Oh, so, this is what I'm taiko- saying. T- purely Taekwondo. So, they count. Taekwondo, of course. To 10 in Korean. Mm. And I just uh, sort of mimic the, the sounds. I probably have gone it wrong multiple times. But that's it. That's what you're supposed to do. That's how you learn a language. You just think like a baby thinks. The baby doesn't 
The baby is just doing what birds do. They're just mimicking. They don't know. Okay. Like they don't even have the concept of language, do they? So, you, uh, if I were to learn a second language in adulthood, I shouldn't be trying to learn it in the way I'd learn a different subject by taking notes and maybe uh, employing certain mnemonic practices or something like that. I should just be trying to mimic other people speaking in that language in the same way an infant would. I would just be doing, if I was going to do it again, this is what I heard anyway, and it made perfect sense to me, because this is the other thing, I know people say, okay, for instance, Korean soap operas, massive throughout Asia. It doesn't matter if you go to Vietnam, Philippines, China, Japan, they're all watching Korean soap operas. Any Asians that I know have a vague understanding of Korean because they sit there and watch soap operas. They've never learned Korean. Their language is completely different to Korean. Yeah, they it's, love Korean drama, don't they? It's, it's drama. Big, it's yeah. just that. So, that's what you should be doing. Okay. Anyway, in my downtime with learning lines, what's just been working for me is, have you ever heard of the YouTuber Wings of Redemption? No. He is one of the first stream gamers in YouTube history. He's an old school, one of okay. the OG. But anyway, pretty much over time- because the gaming industry, people in video game world are just fucked, right? But he has become relentlessly trolled. Even me mentioning him, there's going to be a bunch of people just going into the lore of, wait, there have to be trolled. And I'm not really interested in that. What I'm interested in is I watch people, they just sit there and clip his Twitch streams. And you watch this man and all he does is complain about his life and how unfair it is. Even though he's making sometimes thousands of dollars a week just on Twitch playing COD, all of his complaints, if you look at it from one perspective, are valid. He's huge. He's like 400 pounds or something. He's a massive, fat South Carolinan man that sits there and just being like, I'm going to be the most trolled man in human history. That all my, I'll go outside now. There'll be a bunch of DoorDash. I say I specifically don't like salad, and there's going to be 20 salads out there, and they're all going to be lettuce and onion, and that's going to be the rest of my life. People knocking on my door, laughing at me, poking fun at how fat I am. It's just that for like four hours, and I'm entranced by this man. All right, you got to give me some backstory here, so- he started off in the early days of YouTube as a gamer. How did he become the most trolled gamer in the in the world? What happened? I think- Give me, give me a brief this is, rundown. Look, he got trolled massively. There's, everybody's just like, this was the unforgivable moment. He was just talking smack to another gamer on a stream and just saying, I, I can't even remember the exact specifics of it, but it was something along the lines of, this guy had never played the game before and- Wings was an expert in it. And he said, I'd wipe the floor with you in this. And then he said, okay, I'll just play this as fun. And so, Wings set up a game where he was most likely going to win. He picked the map to favor him, the weapons that would favor him, all that kind of stuff. He got defeated and then he threw a massive tantrum. (laughs) Okay, that's (laughs) that's funny. And then the next day just said, hey, can we uh, set up another game and I'll give you $2,000 to lose to me? Come on, man, let's do this. And then that guy docks to that and then just put that out online. And so, everyone's, you know, dirty on him because of his dirty tricks or whatever. But because I don't really care about gaming, it doesn't mean anything to me. I just see a fat man baby having a tantrum and I think it's funny, right? So, is there a code of chivalry with gaming now? Uh, Clearly. 
and has been for decades. Interesting. Okay. A code of chivalry amongst the neckbeards. Yeah. But that's all I see. When I see him getting trolled, and this is the whole thing, because he goes on troll discords and like, why do you hate me so much? And like, "Mm, because you're a pedophile. And, you know, he's not a pedo. He's just like most people that have streamed the rest of their life. They've joked about, you know, like, yeah, I'd fuck a 12-year-old or some shit like that. And then they just clip that out of context and Bob's your uncle. You know, the the classics, right? Yeah. Um, The old Shane Dawson. That kind of shit. It's just okay. you, you talk long enough for the net, people can just clip things out and make you look like a piece of shit, and he's a classic example of that. Really, he's just a whiny gas bag. And he's, but, but my main point of it is, and I think that this is the main gist of everybody else as well, I think most people like him. Me listening to him complain about his life is like ASMR. It's relaxing. And- there is a certain person, and I think he's correctly identified it. They are whiny fat cunts themselves. And he goes on these trolls' discords and shows. They are all fat losers that are just hating on this guy, I think, because he actually makes money off his gaming stream. So, it makes sense why they hate him. But to the average person that sees Wings of Redemption, I'll tell you this now. One thing comes to mind immediately, which is you- should be on a reality TV show like Honey Boo Boo. You've got that charming, fat, white trash Southern accent that just works well. Everything you say sounds funny. You have funny words like Mima and Peepa and you think trucks are like a, a symbol of status and- What's a Peepa? I think it's a granddad. I'll be like, my Peepa. Oh, I thought it was, uh, <laughs> you know, Pepe, uh, some sort of- Plural or something related to Pepe the Frog, a peeper. Because I thought when you said Mima, I thought you meant like a Mima, Mima someone right. who makes memes. But you meant the Mima. Yeah. You had to say it with the accent. Mima. My Mima and my people. How charming is it? It's it's a great accent. It's great. You can't hate anyone with that accent. No. Even when they spout just, uh, you know, obviously racist rhetoric. No, I it's think charming. that America should be for the whites. That's just my opinion. If you don't like it, then <laughs> so be it. Get Aww. out of South Carolina. That's so nice. <laughs> he said it in such a nice way. I can't be mad at that. <laughs> There's such a nice flow to that accent. <laughs> Real soothing. It's like bourbon coming out of your mouth. Yes, it is. Beautiful. It is soothing liquor. It's it's uh, <laughs> that is the accent from it's Kentucky bourbon. Centuries of just trying to uh, tempt the the women at the uh, the honky tonk. Well, hello there, pretty young thing like you, in those <laughs> denim shorts. I sure would like to take you on a date. I hate also that all of the northerners hate the southern accent. I would kill for the southern accent. And I think that the northern accent is crap. The it's northern a particularly accent ugly version whiny. of English. Yes. Well, I'm far more educated than anyone from the south. And I speak loudly. Therefore, I speak with authority. Yeah. That's how it comes across. The, the standard American words. Southern is mighty fine and cool, and I really do like a good Southern accent. Like, uh, and what's it sounds name? like Frank, they got manners. Frank uh, from uh, Frank Underwood. That Southern gentleman accent. 
Like, there's definitely the redneck accent, which is like, where I don't, where, you know, I love me some Donald Trump. Like, that's obviously, you know, a bad version of that accent. But I still like it. It's still It's very, still funny. Yeah, it's endearing, isn't it? But that southern gentleman, I'm just going to well, that's sip on incredible. my bourbon real slowly and look you in the eye and tell you that you're the prettiest little thing that's ever walked into this bar. Oh, I'd fuck that guy. White pimps. Damn. That's what they are. Yeah, Blake Shelton. Kentucky gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> Kentucky Burby. I think that's it. He does have the trailer trash version of it. But again, there's something soothing about it. I like the fact that he's fat and whiny. Mm. He doesn't apologize for being fat and whiny. Anyway, that I found charming. Then I started watching... Neckbeards argue with each other because I watched a documentary about, and I'm not going to name names because they're the ones that are just going to set everyone off again. But the classic neckbeards, let's have a rational debate, those kind of cunts, right? Wait, 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 wait. On YouTube? <coughs> yeah. With the following? Yeah. Uh, we talking, so I'm assuming conservative YouTubers here or? All of them. All of them. Okay. It doesn't, I really don't care about their stripe. In fact, I would find the the most egregious ones would definitely be from BreadTube. Neckbeards on BreadTube. What's BreadTube? I don't even know. I don't even fucking know what it is. It's just, again, because they all just use these interchangeable words and sit there and get smug about like, that's what, what liberalism is. Liberalism is when this guy thinks he's read the manifesto. He hasn't read the manifesto. That's their entire arguments every time. Okay. It's just like, you don't know political philosophy like I was taught at university. They're just, you know what they are? <laughs> Permanent first year art students. They've just, or philosophy to give them their dues. They've mastered <laughs> being that fuckwit in your fucking uni shoot that was just f- unnecessarily, uh, l- like, loud and was al- always had an opinion on things, even though you were like, I know you're lying about how much you've read yeah. and I know that you don't know what you're talking about, but I just don't have the interest in these lame little bullshit philosophical ploys that you have to even get involved, you know? And it's just that on the internet. They've professionalized being that cunt. The Leninism versus Stalinism types. Those The difference between Leninism and Stalinism is you're not actually aware of that. Yes, yeah. And it's like, yeah, great. That's going to fucking- I don't think you've ever read- the working class, you dumb cunt. Yes. Yes. (sighs) Gotta love it. The exact opposite of- what appeals to the working class and yeah. what appeals to normal people because you know that it is just a bunch of – that's the thing about YouTube, right? You are attracting people that, that you can relate to. And mm. so, obviously, their realm is just every neckbeard on earth watching them have these very intellectual debates with other neckbeards. Right. Who have slightly different definitions of what their political philosophies are. Was it the uh, Charlie Kirk versus Vorsch debate? I mean, look, Vorsch is – the pinnacle of what I'm talking about here at the moment. He defended you, didn't he, when you got arrested? Yeah, but I still can't defend him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> okay. I just... Everyone knows this, right? My pet peeve is people that just constantly fucking label politics. I hate it. And that is just the exact antithesis of that. That's all they do. 
Okay. Who's a Nazi? Who's a Marxist? Who's a libertarian? But that's all they ever do. And then get smug about their definitions of it. And it's just this endless loop that goes for three hours. And sometimes I watch it just to laugh at the neckbeards going at it. So, you Charlie watch it Kirk, for three hours there just is, to laugh. There is one that I- Yes. You know, I hate watching these. Yes. But sometimes it just makes me funny because- It's funny because of how worked up they get about- okay. Yeah. Things that are just, you know, the, the average person could not invest this much emotional angst into what they're talking about. Well, they're autists. They're people that I think have just uh, found their community and they're trying to gain status and power within their community. And this community is uh, online uh, young political commentators. And to gain status... Within that community, you have to be very precise and you have to have a very acute description of your political philosophy. You can't go in there thinking, you know, saying, hey, we should we should just fund social services better. You need to be very specific. You need to talk about the, the, the particular political philosopher that spouted that original rhetoric. And then you need to sort of take down, verbally uh, annihilate your uh, ideological opponents. Yes, that's but that's what is frustrating about them, I think. I think you've actually nailed it. Like, okay, in their mind, they're- <sighs> Yes, because all you see is monkeys in a cage in the zoo trying to figure out who's the dominant monkey via Twitch, right? Yeah. That's what the average person sees. What's weird is looking at them from a, I don't even know, third person perspective or whatever. I guess it's sort of like watching chicks on The Bachelorette have hen fights. It's just, you, you're not involved in that status game. And so, that status game looks pathetic from the outside world. Yeah, that's a funny way of putting it. But yeah, you're, you're, true. you're right. And there's something particularly infuriating about neckbeards. Having said that. Wings you of redemption. Hate neckbeards, man. I fucking hate them. You fucking hate them, bro. Do you hate them? I mean, I find them cringy, sure. But I've got to be Who honest. Who do you hate? Uh, you know, who, the types of people online that are giving me a very sort of primal reaction of anger is mostly Gen Z girls on TikTok that speak in a very snarky way about men. That's who I hate right now. But well, I'm yeah, also they're they're trying fucked. to unpack that psychologically. Well, what is it? And I think, oh, I don't know. I think I, I sort of have attached myself to the idea that I've read all these books and I know a lot more about relationships and dating and, and the dynamics between men and women, which I have. And I do another podcast all about that. But I shouldn't take it so personally when a 19-year-old says something that she saw on an Instagram story, but I do. And that is probably something I need to work on more than anything. Although it's funny to make fun of them at the same time. Do you think there's any kind of projection going on with your hatred for neckbeards? Probably. You think it's a part of yourself that you maybe hate? It's getting- because that's the whole thing. It's- yeah, it's the person that gets at you is the person that's closer to you. Yeah, yeah. Which, Which is, is a scary thought. the fat gamer, he's not close to me and so- him being a fat gamer that he more or less is a neckbeard. He just doesn't have the beard, but he's, he's, a, he's a nerd. He's a fat nerd that sits around arguing all day. Hmm. But I love him. 
But when it comes to anyone that does those like hmm, very intellectual political debates. But the other thing as well is I just don't think that politics should be intellectual. I hate that baggage that comes with it. So, yeah, there is something that they're discussing politics, but they're just, just as always, just theory. It shits me. I hate fucking political theory. It really angers me. Um, but it is, it's close to it. And I suppose that's the same thing when the 19-year-old is doing it. But the 19-year-old one, this is the thing that's even more infuriating about yours, is they're, they're specifically saying to you, who clearly knows more than they do, I know more than you. That's a fucking angry thing. Okay, I'm sure everyone does it. I'm sure because it's just how the human brain works. You, you, When you don't know anything about something, you're quite smug and you think you know a lot about it. Yeah? But it's so infuriating to be on the other side and think, no, I remember thinking what you fucking thought like 10 years ago. But now I know way more about the subject. So just fucking know your place. I suppose it is another hierarchy thing. Yeah, there's no, uh, they're not being punished for not having a nuanced take on the issue that they may be espousing sophistry about online. Whereas historically, there would have been a very, an appropriate hierarchy that would have put them in their place. But now, because you can amass an audience of people who like you for you, for your personality, not necessarily for your ideas, and are probably at the same level intellectually or, you know, just in terms of your life journey. They're at the, they're at the same stage as you are. So I'd imagine a lot of the people following these neckbeard debates on Twitch, which sound funny. I don't, I don't I'm not funny. on Twitch, but I, the only one I've seen is that Charlie Kirk and Vorschwam. How did that go? Well, I was actually entertained. I thought it was interesting. That's the whole thing. Yes, it's entertaining. It's 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 hate watch. It really is hate watch stuff. I, it's like I, watching Lux listings. I uh, I was more compelled by how they responded to each other's argument, and it really did to me. Charlie Kirk. A lot of the criticism of the the conservative pundits are they're just talking heads and they spout the same ideas. And and Charlie Kirk, though he had a bit more nuance than uh, you know you would expect from him on a. PragerU video, something like that. Yeah, I think Vosch won that one, if it was a competition. Well, so the general thing was Vosch was saying, you're a Fox News talking head. No, I don't think Vosch was saying that, but that's the criticism directed towards the turning point types. Mm. And I don't think he did enough, at least for me, to, to allay that criticism. There were points where he was just spouting the same thing, and you can tell when someone can't think on their feet and can't think critically when they just revert, revert back to talking points that they're used to saying. Mm, mm. And I felt like Vosch was more uh, adaptable. Having said that, it was a long time ago when I saw that. I quite liked it. I was just happy that they were actually debating each other. And then when Anna Kasparian debated Ben Shapiro, I thought that was good. I detested the debate between Ben Shapiro and Anna Kasparian. You hate, yeah, wow, you really hate it when politics becomes intellectual and that, you know, that, I guess, verbal pugilism. You don't like that, Because it's just, this is the thing that angers me about it. It's all fantasy. 
It's all fantasy. Okay, sometimes they were using real-world examples, but they were very specific and targeted to just go back into the fantasy again. What fantasy are you talking about? Do you mean that they are this is the- living in their own little echo chamber and have this own they're, – they're, they're very sort of particular philosophical projection that they're placing onto the world and it does not – there's nothing practical or pragmatic about that. It doesn't, it doesn't help bring about – actual political change it's just sort of it doesn't intellectual help anyone it doesn't help it's just that it's yeah. just intellectual masturbation it okay. doesn't actually help anything that's what really angers me about it true right? i don't think it helps anything really it's it's just it's a form of entertainment it's wwe for politics wwe for politics it definitely is that and that's the whole thing and that's what actually angers me as well is it's that same thing that okay i suppose you have to admire it on some level but it's that same thing of knowing if you're ever going to get into an argument with one of these prager you types or you're going to get into an argument with a lawyer or you're going to get into an argument with vorsch it doesn't matter if they are factually wrong they're going to win that's what's fucking angry that's what's infuriating about it because they actually just sit there and think of all these like you know debating tactics uh-huh. That they can then just use to corner you and then just be like, oh, you're wrong. And then just move on to the next thing. Whereas if you're trying, this is the whole thing. I think with those people, it actually is by their training impossible to actually have a, a, an honest discussion with one another. Because they're always just trying to think of how to fucking trap the other person. And they can sit there and say, you're arguing in bad faith, which is the classic throw that they all do it. But they fucking all are. Give me one person that isn't trying to argue in bad faith and is actually trying to listen to the other person in any of those instances. And it's just not that. It's like, and and that's the whole thing. It's just raising status in this really nerdy sphere over something that actually has real-world implications. That's what angers me about it. Do you think there's a point where, okay, there's this sort of glitz and glamour and sensational (laughs) element to these uh, online verbal sparring matches, but in real life, to enact practical change, sometimes you have to convince people, you have to win over other people and you have to sort of win little arguments. Don't you think there's something to that? There is a skill in that? I think if you are trying to misdirect people, there's a skill in it. I really do think that that's the case, right? If you are trying to sell a product that is defective, yes, you should get really, really good at debating. For instance, Bernie Sanders is not a very good debater. Even Joe Biden, in his diminished capacity, still wiped the floor with Bernie Sanders, who's still clearly fully there, right? And it's because, in his day, he was a very good debater, for American standards especially, because I don't actually think that they're particularly good in comparison to, say, British politicians or Australian politicians even. But but what Bernie Sanders was saying, the basic points of what he was trying to get across, his vision of what he wanted for the country, 
obviously resonated with most people and it took huge manipulation and huge blackouts of his message to keep him from becoming president. If it was a level playing field and it was just like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? That guy would win. He would wipe the floor with everyone else. But that's the whole thing. You have all of these lawyers that are trained in these ways to argue people. It's the thing that we're always talking about of you see your hot shot uh, media trained lawyer arguing against a climate scientist. And everyone will go out of that thinking the lawyer beat the climate scientist on climate science. They will, for sure, because they know how to argue and misdirect. Yeah, and that format is not exactly effective for understanding the complexities of a, an issue like climate change. But, okay, what would you say to the counterpoint that if someone is being deliberately dishonest about you or your ideology or just the ideas you're espousing, if you're continually ignoring them and saying these people are arguing in bad faith, these people are essentially below me or they're just nefarious actors, you then start to come across as weak or insecure and it could be insinuated that this person is is trying to develop this narrative wherein, oh, these other people are bad actors, these other people aren't arguing honestly, when really they just look like a coward now because they're not willing to actually debate the person who's being dishonest about them. Which is how they get into these debates. But this is, and you're exactly right, that is the optics of what that looks like. But the reality is that they just want you to go into a place where it's asymmetrical warfare because they are so trained in that area, you know? Whereas if you're just sitting there stating your case for an hour straight, I think that this also is a bit of format as well, is somebody just sitting there pausing it and really thinking about why they disagree with something instead of just the, what about this? What about this? What about this? Ha, huh, got you. All right, let's move to the next point. Okay. You know, when somebody actually has those, even though I hate those videos as well, like a measured response, the thing is they've, ever, they've clearly thought about it a lot and they actually are playing what they were saying and then they're showing stats that disprove them. Okay. so you As opposed to just getting the person be like, oh, 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 oh you're owned, you're owned. Let's move on. Okay, so you'd respect a well-constructed, measured, good-faith criticism of maybe something you said or of something someone you maybe agree with said as opposed to finding strange loopholes in an argument on the fly. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I get what you're saying as well, though, that it is entertaining to watch. There's no question about it. But that's the thing that infuriates me. It's It's like... They're not right because they won the debate. These are yeah, not. Yeah. These don't go in tandem with one another. And that's, well, I suppose that's the, like if you're looking at it the way that you're saying it. If you're looking at it as just like this is boxing, okay, that's fine. Sure, but you're completely right in saying the person who wins that intellectual boxing match is not necessarily the person who's factually right. They're usually someone who can just argue their case better than the opposition. Yeah. So that's where people who are trained in, in law have a huge advantage over Massive. anyone else. Massive. And you have an even bigger advantage 
if you are one of these nerds that sits there and then just goes from Greek philosophy to now in every style of debate there is. Really, you're just learning a very nerdy martial art. Yeah, but there's a scissors, paper, rock uh, situation at hand where it depends on the audience because sometimes if you come across as too intellectual, people immediately have a have a sort of negative gut feeling about that person, as it sounds like you do with the neckbeards, as I do sometimes as well. A lot of people would just get a bad feel about some of these guys where if uh, – a Donald Trump working class figure comes in and says, you're a fucking idiot. Fuck this cunt. That can just win the argument because that person just seems like a more authentic human being. So you can be as intellectual as you want. And within that sphere of influence, that's an effective strategy. That's an effective personality type. But you get to the wider world and you can come across as mm, patronizing and... uh, cocky and pretentious that's actually really true that is what donald people were saying about donald trump which was that he was bringing a gun to a knife fight in the debates yes and and that because he was just was playing effective. a different game he was just like i'm not playing your little bullshit wordsmith game that's not happening yeah and that was effective because people had such a uh, negative portrayal of what could be called the the swamp whereas in the 90s that wouldn't have worked people would have thought he was he just lacked decorum and was just brutish and cruel and mean i was gonna say something else i forgot maybe it wouldn't though maybe it's just always that's potentially who knows? I think it's just that. It's like, what game are you trying to play? And if someone goes into that Ben Shapiro argument and he's just being like, well, can, can, can you rationalize that? I mean, what, 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 what are you basing that off of and all that kind of stuff? And he's just like, bro, you've got a hunch. Look at you. You don't, you don't lift at all. It's pathetic. Like, yeah, that there's... guy's probably going to win that debate to the broad... Like, nerds right. will just sit there and just be like, this is insufferable. But that's because they're nerds. Well, yeah, people would have a huge bias towards someone that they already ideologically agree with. And so, if it came down to personal attacks, some people would justify their leaders' personal attacks because they feel like they're being unfairly treated and, and vice versa. Okay. I, in this sphere, with some of the uh, public intellectuals I like who I suppose, someone like John McWhorter or people who are critical of uh, uh, culturally woke ideology, yet all these critical race scholars just refuse to not debate them but to just sit down and actually have a conversation with them. And I get to the point where I think, well, why are these people running scared? But their narrative is is, is these people are constantly misrepresenting me. I'm not going to engage in a discussion with someone who is dishonest and a bad actor. Now, I don't know who's correct. I'm obviously biased towards the people I listen to, but it comes across from my perspective as a, as a fan of some of these other characters, it just seems like they're being cowards. Yes. Just have the discussion, just sit down and, because I'm not looking at, in, in, most people would probably watch one of these debates to try and see their team win. It's sport for neckbeards. Mm. They just want their team to win. Mm. They don't care about 
their, you know, the avatar for their uh, ideology being tested or improving their points of argumentation. They just want the little dopamine and even testosterone hit when their team wins, when, when their representative wins that verbal sparring match. I like debates and, well, long-form discussions more than anything because I then get a chance to see how the best version of an ideology I may be like or ideas that I may be like can contend with uh, criticism and opposition. That's mm. why I like it. Mm. I like mm. to see those ideas being tested. Mm. And I, there's not many other formats where you get to see those ideas being tested on the fly. Mm. Because it's very true that a constructive criticism comes from a sort of methodical breakdown of someone's argument and then a good, fake 20-minute, uh, well-constructed video about how someone may have been expressing poor points uh, in whatever format they were talking. But in a debate or in a sort of well-respected discussion, what you do get to see is how certain ideas are held up to scrutiny uh, in an immediate level. And I like, I like that because I like to see how particular ideas can be tested. And then I also can see, all right, there's a flaw in, in, in the logic of this here or there is actually a point of contention here. I think it's different when we talk about climate science, though. That is a science, but when we're talking about culture and philosophy, that's, that's far more subjective. There's a sort of uh, interpretive moral side to that, whereas there are points of science that should not be argued with. They should be held up. To, they should be tested rig rigorously, but you shouldn't... It's strange to debate something that has been sort of systematically proven to exist or not necessarily <laughs> it is proven, really but weird, like, but, like, uh, but, but uh, at least uh, <laughs> through multiple forms of trial and error, it's yeah. likely that it exists. Now we can debate what we then do about that. I think that's fair. Mm. I think it's fair to debate, Hey, look, this is the science. All right. I think that uh, we should go to wind and solar and I think it should be nuclear. I think that's actually a fair debate if people are being honest about it mm. because that's different. To, you're not debating the science. You're debating what to do about the science. Mm. Uh, but I find some value in watching debates because I can see how sort of complex and how deep some of the uh, ideas and ideologies are that I may be ascribed to or are fond of. That's why I like debate and discussion. Okay, give me an example of one that you thought was kind of like. Well, the one classic that, one, one. One where, one where they weren't being cunts to each other, essentially, because that's every time sure. I ever watch one of them. It's well, just. Everyone's going to have their guard up to a certain degree, because I think if you were in that environment, if you were immersed in a debate, your ego would be to some degree on the line. It'd be very hard, especially if your life's work is to be an academic or, a you know, you're, you've got a profile being the guy that says, hey, this is the right way to think. Of course, you're going to want to win. So you're going to probably resort to certain ad hominem attacks and personal smears if you feel like you're being unfairly treated or if you feel like you're being sort of viciously attacked. But I guess the classic one would be, I don't know, that Jordan... Peterson and Sam Harris debate, or when when he uh, debated what Slavoj 
Which that Slavoj won that. That's even as a Jordan Peterson fan, like that was just that guy was so unprepared. Uh, but to me, what I got out of it was how those ideas, when they're held up to scrutiny, how they respond. Like I don't, it's not necessarily the personality that I'm looking at. I'm looking at the ideas and how much depth there is to them. That's I suppose what I'm trying to get out of it. And I find that very compelling and I think there's value to it. But I, I totally understand there's this sort of WWE, um, particularly in the realm of political philosophy, there's just, just it's just this intellectual masturbatory sparring to no end purely to try and one-up the other person. And no one is sort of coming out of that feeling nourished or feeling like they learned something. They're either coming out of that thinking, my side won, or my side lost and probably aren't even accepting the, de- the defeat, probably thinking, oh, well, they were dishonest and they lied. And both sides are probably going to say they were dishonest and they lied. And, yeah, it's entertaining sometimes, but, I, yeah, I wouldn't – I don't think you're really going to learn a huge amount in those, those sort of organised paid debate events. I think there's also – I don't know if, but yeah, okay. When, when you're watching the Slavoj Žižek one and the Jordan Peterson one, now that you've made me think about it, you are right. You go out of that and you don't feel bad that Jordan Peterson lost or you don't think, yeah, Slavoj. Some people did obviously in the comments, but I didn't. It was just like, fucking nailed him. You're kind of just like, okay, feel pretty good about that. You know, when you're watching those other debates, those really twitchy, bread tubey things you i think it's because you get a feeling whatever the the vibe is it's getting transmuted through the medium right and i think that's what's happening with neckbeards when you're watching neckbeards argue for three hours you are getting an insight into their mind and how they think and you feel really chat because they just must have an awful existence, right? And I think that with Jordan Peterson and Slavoy- You hate them. Huh? You hate them, bro. <laughs> Fuck. I mean, yeah, you're not right. Yeah, there's this visceral dis- disgust that can come across when, you, when you're really looking at some of those- uh, let's, You just think, without trying fuck, to be you must hate cruel. your life. Yeah, and look, but, yeah. fair- Bluey on Isaac Butterfield's podcast just said that to me. It was just like, fuck, don't you get tired of it? Like, your life must be shit. And I was like, unquestionably, objectively, your life is way better than mine. Way better. What what context was that again? I can't remember. The guy goes to Triple M on a Saturday, oh, that, but plays what? some Nickelback, rocks up back to Isaac's house, has a laugh about vegans, That's then, then, then lays some bricks and goes to the bar. It sounds sick. You know, yeah, that sounds yeah. like a pretty good life. No, that's a great life. That's a great, great life. I wonder why uh, people are inclined to do more than that. Hey, it could come down to insecurity. It could just come down to an inferiority complex of some some sort. You're trying to prove something. When I was staying with you in Lithgow, you said men have three urges that compel them. It's either the urge for money 
for power or for sex. Yeah. And then didn't we work out? It was like, you wanted power, I wanted sex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think a lot of those urges come from maybe a lack of that in your adolescence, which rings true to me, 100%. Uh, I would know about your adolescence, but maybe there was uh, some facets where you felt like you lacked power or influence. Must have been. I think I've I can't changed, remember though. off the fly. Huh? I don't want. I don't want. I think now, at least in the last year, I think I've, I think I've finally overcome the urge to constantly like prove that I can get have puss. sex. Yeah, I've done it now. I've climbed that mountain. I'm like, okay, enough. No, no. I'm not insecure about. I don't think I'm insecure about it anymore. Mm. I don't think I am. I mean, maybe mm. on a very, mm. on a very subconscious level, I am. But yeah, uh, I actually. I would I would love to do a podcast about this soon, but I think social capital is like the the wealth of today. Oh, and absolutely! And that's something I'm inclined to chase, but not not without being authentic or having integrity. But I think there's something remarkable about people uh, wanting to hear what you have to say on a certain topic, and being able to direct people into action. Yeah. Yeah, and being because able to money can only others. do that to such a degree. Exactly, but ideas can really propel people. That's a real motivator. I don't care if I make f- whatever forty grand a year for the rest of my life, but if I have an audience that uh, listens to me, and I can have my sphere of influence, that is everything to me. Mm. Mm. That's the way to think about things. You're right. Yeah. That's definitely it. You know what else, though? Then it becomes a question of what are you using it to influence people to do? For sure. Because that's another thing that really shits me about the neckbeards is that they are influencing their audience to just be really smug, snide, and condescending to other people for no benefit. I really, th- th- there's a lot of them. I'm not going to say any names at all, but I look at them and then you look at their comments and you just know that those people are not contributing anything to society. Yeah, yeah. When you have a philosophy degree, what are you really contributing? Let's be honest. Come on. <laughs> I love philosophy, but, you know, the the trade is definitely doing more for the country than you are. I think so. I think so. Unless you're at that top tier. Maybe if you're, some well, personal choices. Like that. Huh? But if you're Peter Singer, if you're really at the top tier of any social science. But don't you think that's really world. coming from, it's not even that is not, his social capital is not coming from his philosophical ideas. It's coming from his psychology ideas. It's just coming from, yeah. here's how to just make your mind work from a clean slate. Sure. Well, there's a, like an there's a combination, but you don't want to. I don't know what the specific academic discipline is, but most people who are well-renowned public intellectuals would probably have a few spheres of influence from a, a range, from a variety of academic subjects. They probably have one yeah. where they're the, they're a real expert in, but then they'd also uh, take uh, wisdom from tangential disciplines. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They would because they just obviously they've got very curious minds, so they'd have a bunch of interests, and they just have one expertise level, and a lot of those other ones would overlap, so they can talk about the other ones. Yeah. 
This so, definitely was happening. Because I'm reading this kind of summary book of sociology, and sociology just seems to be a combination of philosophy and and econo- economics and cu- and sort of a study of culture, or like anthropology. It's just a sort of combination of a bunch of other subjects. Mm. You like? Yeah, it was all very interesting. It was Actually, it's a bit of a crossover of your interests, isn't it? Yeah. It so, it would, be, it would be up your alley. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great read. Do you think you learned anything from it or no? Nah? You just, yeah, same stuff? No, I mean, I, I no, there was a lot I didn't know before that I now slightly remember. There's a lot to take in, but it was good. You know what else I think angers me about it is because those people, they see themselves as debaters and in a debating game, and that's what I think is inherently infuriating about looking at these people, there's a win-lose to it. There is a win-lose to how they're looking. And I think that this is what actually makes Isaac Butterfield really good in his sphere. Dude, the guy... He's not playing the same game as the rest of them. He's playing the comedian game, which is where can I get a laugh? And in where can I get a laugh? That's like being a jazz musician. It's a bit like jamming. It's just like it's a collaborative win-win effort, you know? But today there exists a hybrid comedian commentator mold, which I think all of us now... You have to move into. And it's more powerful because we've seen uh, mainstream comedians, particularly in America, that especially post-2016, started to articulate very fervent political opinions and no one took them seriously. Because, hey, you're for 20 years, you've been the guy that's trying to get a laugh. That's what we expect from you. Stop telling me how to think. Mm. But now with this hybrid model, you can do both. Well, Joe Rogan's a perfect example of that. Although he's now more com- he's now more conversationalist than comedian. I mm. can't even remember. I loved his stand-up specials, but really, his greatest impact. No is one's now. watching him for it. Really, that's like a byproduct. Sure. His main product is the podcast for sure. Especially now, yeah. And uh, so those are conversations which I find really compelling. Where very rarely is he just. Uh, Obviously, butting heads with someone. See, but He's that's truly trying to listen. Yeah, and learn. But I think that that comes from the comedy thing because comedians are interested in ideas. They're not interested in shutting someone down. That's the whole thing about a good debater, right? A good debater is just sitting there, just being like, "You're wrong. You're a piece of shit for the following reasons." They're just looking for the quickest way to cut you, right? Comedians aren't. Comedians are just like, that's a cool idea. Yeah, but what if you just mix that with that idea? Oh, yeah, you get that product. Yeah, that's kind of cool. It's just like playing Lego with another friend. That's the difference. Whereas debating is trying to kick the other fucking building down. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, And I think that that's why he's moved into that. And that's why all of those fuckwits particularly hate Joe Rogan. Whereas to me, look, Joe Rogan's too bro-y for me. He doesn't really speak to me, but whatever. Like, he's doing his okay. thing and that's cool. He's, I don't really listen to him is what I'm saying. Like, he doesn't yeah. resonate with me. But, but like, the thing that really shits people about Joe Rogan in that sphere is because they are 
looking for someone to smash the building. And he's not doing that. He's not doing that. He's just, he's building buildings with people. Different game. Hmm. Now, when it comes to Isaac Butterfield, yeah, okay, he's a, he's a commentator. He's a social commentator for sure. But he's not... The primary objective here, and this is the thing that I think differentiates all the different comedians. First off, it's obviously the comedic skill of them. But someone like Jon Stewart, who used to be Stephen Colbert and now he's just completely smug, but Jon Stewart, Bill Maher, they are really motivated by the joke at the end of the day. They might be making serious points, but they're trying to get to a joke. There's a different game being played to somebody who is just seriously making points. And that's why it's more powerful because you're coming at it from two different angles. But sorry, with with Isaac Butterfield, when he's arguing with one of the vegans or the feminists that he's arguing with, you can tell that the vegan or the feminist is trying to do him in on points. But this is the thing that makes him better at it, which is that even if he gets proven wrong on something, he's just like, Okay, cool. Here's my joke. That's not the thing that he's attached his ego to. Yeah, and then it comes across as far more endearing to the audience because it shows that this is an authentic person who has a degree of humility greater than the person who is sparring with them, even if that person pointed out a minor contradiction. Yeah, they just come across as nicer people. Nicer people. They want to have fun. And that's the whole thing. It's really weird. Whenever I watch one of the other people making a critique of Isaac Butterfield, and I swear it's not even because he's my friend, right? I swear this is just the resentment and bitterness that is coming off of them. It's hard to watch. Whereas when he's critiquing someone, it's just it's funny. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you yeah. can watch the whole thing. It's fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, There's an element to it. Funny. Fun. It's fun. As you're saying, I suppose, there's just more elements of the person that's there. And maybe, look, this is probably why it angers me so much is that I do value comedy. And I value collaboration and I like synthesizing different ideas. And I suppose that that person is the exact opposite of that. I don't know why the 19-year-old pisses you off so much. Other than, of course, the thing of this. This is really what it is, don't you reckon? Just shut up. Well, the, I think it's that. the ego that comes with what they're saying. Yeah, exactly. I think it might be that. Yeah, but it's something I probably have to work on more than any. I just don't really scroll on TikTok anymore. Something's happened in 2022. The algorithm's really getting on your, you know, it's really, it's going for cortisol now, not dopamine. Oh, okay. Unless it's just me. But uh, they really hit that. uh, They know how to, you know, get to me. It's a toxic relationship. Oh, Oh, I want it to be good again. (laughs) One day it'll be good again. Come back to me, TikTok. I used to love you. You changed. I'm going to keep trying. Fuck. Well, you know what? I'm always using this as the metric, but how a couple of years ago I was saying that Gen Z is the saviour. I don't think it is anymore. And I think that it's as simple as 
you know, you change the channel on something and your mindset changes. But I think Gen Z's mindset is, because of TikTok, a lot more smug and combative than it was. Smug and combative online uh, and deeply insecure. And, and timid in real life. In real life. Yeah. Yep. And to be fair, most people don't really fit their online persona when met in real life. But do you think debaters are just... Uh, really uh, disagreeable people who were just wimps who couldn't get into fighting. <laughs> they're, just, uh, they're just disagreeable nerds. They're, they're disagreeable they come from the same place. They, nerds, they're yeah. kickboxers, but they're fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they want to win and they want to bring down their opponents, but they, they have to, their only chance of doing that is in the verbal sphere or in the digital sphere, which is even Gaming. Worse. Yeah, you're right. Just mm. killing someone in a war game. So many online environments are just so cynical and hateful. And look, we all contribute to that because uh, there's videos when I've been in a bad mood and I want to, I'm frustrated about something and I want to speak my mind on it. And I uh, let that come across in, in a video. And that, uh, would uh, instill that particular vibe within anyone who's watching that video. So, okay, you know what? I, uh, this makes me think about Crystal and Saga, the whole breaking points. I really like them. I liked them for a long time to get my US news. Just a quick question out of that because uh -huh. I haven't watched it in months. Are they still doing numbers or no? I mean numbers. Are they still How good a views? thing? Good views? As far as I'm aware, they're, they're at least consistent. Consistent, okay. But uh, yeah, I don't, I, I'm not looking at the view count. Go on, you. But they've become exactly what they uh, profess to hate because they, they're constantly talking about how the mainstream media has this us versus their mentality and they're very negative and, okay, I don't think Chris and Saga are lying or manipulating their audience in the same way mainstream media do because there's so many other corporate powers at play, but... Oh, every episode, you know, oh, can you believe CNN said this? Can you believe the New York Times did this? Bitching. Like, dude, just you're Bitching. bigger than them. Like, just shut up. Like, mm. Why do you need to do this all mm. the time? Mm, 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 mm. But it's an inferiority complex as they both came from traditional journalism backgrounds. In yes. the same way, we bitch so much about mainstream comedians because we came from that and there's always this little, oh, I want that fucking respect and that critical acclaim. But we have to let go of that. Eventually. I don't even think it's the- I want respect and critical acclaim. It's- it does get into that win-lose mentality. Yeah. It's, it's not- it's not even it. enough that you're better than them. You want them just ground into the fucking dirt. Yeah. That's what you want. You can't help it. It's- uh, it's- it, okay, It's actually a very human sense. urge to be tribalistic like that. You know what it's- you know what's good when you can sort of harness those uh, hateful impulses- into abstract concepts rather than actual people. What do you mean? Give me an example. Oh, well, okay. I don't know if this is a very bad reading of something as complex as Christianity, but the idea of sin, which is to be hated or avoided rather than the person themselves. Mm. Tell me in the comments if I'm getting that completely wrong. No, but, I think you're right. You know, that, Having isn't no that, grounding in it. Isn't that... Okay, so you're harnessing the very human impulse to be tribalistic and and uh, be frustrated and, and, and 
irate towards certain people, but you're uh, uh, projecting that onto an abstract concept as opposed to a particular human being or a group of human beings. It's kind of like Tony Robbins saying that it's not the person that's bad, it's the programming they're running that's bad. Yes, but it's very hard to say, oh, if someone's done something pernicious to to you, oh, I hate their programming, (laughs) you know. Yeah. You're going to say, I hate them. It is another stage of evolution that I am definitely not at. No, and it's very, you know, it's what the wisest hippies are at that, but (laughs) many people are at that. We're like, I forgive the person. I just understand they are acting you- rationally based on their life. You can tell yourself that, but it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't help you get over that visceral hatred that you're probably feeling. No, and in fact, you saying the hippie thing did remind me that Wayne Dyer was once talking about that. That they were saying there, there was this list of the most spiritual people in America. And it came up as it was some stupid fucking Forbes magazine or something. And it just said, number one, Eckhart Tolle. Number two, Oprah. Number three, <laughs> Wayne Dyer. Oprah. Yeah. I guess so. Well, it's, I know. I don't agree with it either. But it's just a dumb list by an idiot. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> okay. right? Yeah. And because she just sits there listening to a bunch of people who've had their husband murdered or something. They're just like, wow, she suffered their pain. I don't know. But anyway. <sighs> Yeah. I'm sure she's more spiritually enlightened, actually, as a result of talking to Eckhart Tolle and all those people so much than the average person. Yes, but I think that there would be spiritual teachers that would be a bit higher. Anyway, he was saying when that came out about the most spiritual people in America, he instantly was just like, Oprah, that fucking bitch. Okay, what if I team up with Eckhart Tolle? Could I get it to number two? He felt that go off in his mind. He's supposed to be the third most spiritually enlightened man in America. And it's still there because it's in that game. I'm the most spiritually enlightened. It's still there. It's just the game. Fuck. As soon as you said you've got that thing where you have to hit comedians. Yeah, that angers me. That does anger me. And also the same thing with with debaters, you know, political philosophy, not really my game. It kind of just shits me because I think that they should be playing a different game. That's it. Whereas journalists do give me the fucking shit. They give me the shits because they're playing a game closer to me. And that's the same thing with Crystal Ball and Saga. And that's the thing that I think you always have an edge on. If you are injecting comedy into it, there's another dimension to it where, because that's why I stopped listening to Saga and Crystal because it was that. It was every time it was like... Oh, you're angry this morning about an article you read. Oh, what's the next one? Oh, you're angry about this one. And you're being really snide the whole time. Yeah. Just all these emotions that are really- It's snarky. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, there's something to be said about- uh, I've changed a lot in the last couple of years about how I thought simple programs or personalities that were just affable without any substance were uh, dumb. And I thought I was above that. But there's something to be said about the vibe they give off. And if they make you feel enriched and happier after having watched them, after having consumed their content than you were previously, that person's always going to have much more social capital, much more influence. 
and ultimately much more power than someone who is continually being snarky and cynical and negative. And it will be more powerful when they are negative and cynical because then people would think, wow, they, they, someone must have really pissed them off. More dimensions to – it is more dimensions. This is the thing actually that's really annoying me. I'm doing it now because it's just the, the, the realm that we were in was so serious and also because it's leading up to the election. So, I'm just going to be pumping out more political content. But the thing that I always – try to move away from was being just political. I don't like it. I think that there's a fine balance, what you're saying, of being an authority in a realm and being a two-dimensional figure. This is something that I see all the time with politicians. I think that you are in a really bad spot if people just identify you as a politician. So, with Donald Trump, for instance, even though he was the president of the United States... that is not all you think about when you think about Donald Trump. You don't think Donald Trump politician. You think baller, reality star, um, self-obsessed billionaire politician. Yeah. There's other dimensions to that man. Yeah. Joe Biden, politician. That's all you think when you look at him. Yeah. Politician. Yeah. Most so, politicians, you exactly think just politicians. It's now, but that's like with changing, anything. But yes, because it, people hate politicians so much, they're inclined to vote for someone who's not your average politician. Yeah, he's not part of the system. <laughs> we like that. But look, there's a, I can see why people are attracted to those sorts of figures. Demagogues, right? That's the term. Is it for? Well, those sorts of narcissistic, tyrannical, populist types. That is one of my main points in my uh, stand-up show, actually. There you go. Should I... Let me just, let me just no, say if this is don't. too conspiratorial. Oh, Okay. My main point is when all these people are always saying, oh, I've got this political party, uh, this is the constant thing. You reduce politics to just two sides. It's not two sides. It's also this very specific minor party that markets specifically to me. And the fact that you don't acknowledge them makes you biased. It's the classic something along the lines that I get. History of parliament always, always will eventually move into two blocks, one that represents the haves and one that represents the have-nots. They change throughout history. There might be like certain little parties that are in that block, but that is what they're representing. They're either representing the vast majority of the population or they're uh, representing the oligarchy, right? The original one of that in Rome, the one that was representing the have-nots, were called the populares. That is the root word for populist. When you listen to people today on CNN, ABC, anywhere, use the word populist, what are they saying about that person? They're essentially saying they're just appealing to the masses because they want power. They're actually lying, which is why Mm. when you said demagogue, you immediately said populist. 
was the next word. Isn't that fucking interesting that the the very root, the first party that represented the have-nots now is synonymous with charlatan, demagogue, somebody who's just lying to 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 get power. So I've been uh so that's a propaganda that I've uh that we've taken all grown up in. Yeah, wow. Okay. This is 2000-year-old propaganda running. It freaks me out. Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there of what we're talking about. But yes, I know, I know what you're saying there. I know what you're saying. But it is very interesting to me that there is this thing of just trying to breed into the public this cynicism that anyone who's actually talking about the issues that you're concerned with is being honest. They're absolutely not being honest. They're trying to breed that into you to again detract votes away from it. Wow. Yeah, it's impossible to know what's true and what is uh, a well-constructed lie that has been fed into viewers and the populace over time. That's uh, fascinating to think about because, yeah, I just immediately associated those words together. I mean, I wouldn't normally do that. I guess I was just speaking extemporaneously there but uh no no but this is what i'm saying that, Neil. That, like, that like, like a, i was yeah. the same every time i ever th- heard the word populist i always thought engaging in fakery tricking the public somebody like a demagogue somebody that rises up on the populace back by tricking them and then gains power and becomes a tyrant these are all the words that are associated with julius caesar this is the the archetype that they're trying to impress into people's minds but that's like, look, all I'm saying is that's the thing that endlessly fascinates me, as everyone knows. But that thing of like, no, there's like a programming running on you and it's running for very nefarious reasons and everyone just takes it for granted, right? Like everyone, it, like it just becomes so embedded that it just becomes normal. Mm. I suppose that's the thing that just endlessly fascinates me. Because a populist, in theory, is doing what a politician should do, representing yes, the public, the population. Yes. So that is strange that uh, we associate those uh, concepts. It was very deliberate. Because if you're not appealing to the masses, you somehow have some sort of integrity that the other politicians don't, which actually is counterintuitive to what a democracy is supposed to be. Bingo. Now, I'm sure there's nuance to it. I'm sure you could go throughout history and find people who were saying things that the public wanted to hear in order to gain power. But look, every politician, whether it's conscious or at the back of their mind, probably wants power, but at least in theory, what a democracy should do well is harness individual human beings' urge for power in a way that benefits everyone in that for them to gain power, they have to actually appeal to the masses. And by appealing to the masses, they actually do what's best for the masses. Mm. So everyone wins. But that's very theoretical. And because what's worse is someone who wants power by appealing to the uh, el- elites. Yeah. <laughs> probably- Which is 
this is the really interesting part about it, what Cicero was saying all those years back. And he was one of these cunts that did. But those were the two original divides. That's what's really interesting about it. When you strip away everything else, those are the actual political terms where I'm like, those are useful. Where he's saying, he was saying this all, all the way back then, he was saying there's two types of politicians in the world and he's absolutely bang on about this. There is politicians that try to get their power from appealing to the masses and then there's popular, the, because he was one of these cunts, obviously he uses these words, there's politicians that get their power from appealing to the best men or the best ones. Which, in other word, means the oligarchy. Right. Those are the two. And they just right. they were more open and honest about that back then. Okay. And that's exactly what you're saying there. In reality, th- those are and always will be the two political blocks. Everything after that is, you know, fashion, really. It's just fashion. That's all the only ways that you can accumulate power. You can either get enough people together to get in or you get someone to say, give me a fucking $80 billion or whatever, or, you know, give me $2 billion and I'll get in and work for you. How else are you supposed to get in? You're not going to go into those like 10 people and say, hey, vote for me. Oh, we don't have enough votes. I'm not going to get in. There's only two tickets. That's what like is was just a real awakening moment for me that's why you should come and see my stand-up show actually because it's just filled with all of these red pills about the inception of politics damn and how it's just remember how i was just saying that classic example of um when i was in turkmenistan turkmenistan actually was part of the parthian empire which was always rome's rival that was kind of modern-day Persia, Iran, kind of, was their homeland, and then they had an empire around it. But going to one of the old Parthian cities and seeing a statue of a king on a horse holding a sword, and this was 2,000 years ago, and then you go to modern-day Turkmenistan and the current president has a golden statue of himself holding a sword on a horse... And you realise nothing's changed. It's that uh, the the wire said it perfectly, which is like players change, but the game stays the same. And that is Western. So that's Western society. Absolutely, that's Western society. Players change, but the game stays the same. And realising how deep-rooted that is, is truly mind-blowing. Like, you, you're really... Another one that... I'm giving away all of it now, actually. But the, the I remember at the end of reading that book that I've been obsessed with and wrote the whole stand-up show around. And I remember putting it down and instantly what sprang to mind was Paul Keating's quote, which was, the longer you stick around in Parliament, the more you realise you're just having the same fucking argument over and over again. Because it is. It's all just stemming back from that one argument. You have one side of politics saying, this is pretty much it. I want private monopolies over public assets. And then you have another side saying, no, those should be public assets. That's the fucking argument. That is the argument. Hmm. The rest of it's distractionary culture war shit that changes from generation to generation. Wow. All right. Well, I think that's a great end note for this one. 
Okay, yeah, sorry. This is probably think, gone late. No, 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 that's all good. Uh, everyone definitely go and see Jordan's show. Come see my ones as well. There won't be as many uh, red pills about uh, the political system, but there'll be some good... Uh, there'll be uh, two grown men um, simulating sex with each other multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough choice. Get in there. But, uh, yeah, you get both of them. If you come see if you come see both of us, you get the wide spectrum of comedy. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. You know what I want? I do want to come and see one of these nights. Come. I want to see it specifically in Brisbane. Okay. I feel like because I don't want to see that in Newcastle. The audience would be fucked. Sydney, not interested. Melbourne, <laughs> no. Brisbane, that's going to be a good night. Okay, well, we are planning uh, Brisbane shows soon. That's maybe three or four months down the track. But uh, right now, it will Sydney, line Melbourne, up with Newcastle. Schedule. And then uh, we're going to announce some more regular shows soon. So, neildan.com for tickets. neilkohacker.com slash podcasts to uh, ask questions uh, or uh, shout-outs or topics for us to discuss and all that money goes to charity crushorganics.com use the code neil for 40 percent off go see jordan's stand-up show see you next time and guys. We'll just, uh, happy we'll valentine's just say, day you should happy valentine's day you should go see neil's and i'm very excited if you keep that up in 10 years what that would be like because my god you would be good at improvising by then yeah that's the goal we are uh working on that Tirelessly, we want to be the best improvisers in the country. I, I think who else you'd is be doing regular close. improv shows? You'd have so to be up there, yeah. I mean, uh, who are you competing with? Some private school nerds that are eighteen. Yes, Everyone else just think of improv. Okay, if you do, okay, I, I, I don't want to just conclude the podcast, but my god, extra commentary. There's one thing when you think about drama kids, okay, but when you think of improv group, it's the nerds of the drama nerds. I love improvisation. I think it's one of the best art forms there is out there, but uh, it's the people that do it that ruin it. Well, you know who did improv? Andrew O'Keefe. There you go. That's right. There you go. The guy who got on his soapbox telling every other man how we should be better, only to just go and hit multiple Uh, multiple women women himself. And uh, what a cunt. He's also related, Jimmy. See you next week, guys. Wait, what? (laughs) I'll tell you off here. I'll tell you off here. Oh, shit. All right. See you next week.